Welcome to Always Bev, The Ripple Effect. I am your host, Barb Jordan. He would have stalked you. She's like, I just don't think there was probably any other ending. This is the third segment in my interview with Heather Wilson. And I promise you, if you missed the first or second segment, you're going to want to go back and listen because all of this started with an online date. At the conclusion of my interview with Heather, we're going to hear some thoughts from her conversations with her therapist and listen to what they say about one question that all of you have probably asked yourself during one of these three segments. Why didn't she leave? Like three in the morning, I'm asleep. Uh, I get woken up. He's right over my face. He's like, Heather, what did you do? I scream. And um, so he's like asking questions about the police. He's going to be arrested. And he's right over my head. And um, I'm just trying to like not be murdered, honestly. And um, I so I try to like assure him he's fine because I don't want to be killed. And he said, uh, he was, oh, you thought you could lock me out, huh? He's like, don't you know what I was way in? Don't you, he's like, I set up a way to get back in the house. I don't know how. I think one of the guardian locks actually was loose. I don't think he was like a master magician. What I realized is one of the guardian locks, maybe he made it loose, but it wasn't fully, like you could open it. So, and he had a key. So I think that was actually how he got in. He tried to make it sound all like special. <laughs> but I had a locksmith come later and the locksmith was like, oh yeah, this guardian lock is actually loose. And so you could just like push it open. Um which I also got fixed. So he's back in the house and he uh, says he'll go back. There was a guest room on the second floor. He said he'll stay up there and he'll leave me alone. I didn't get a wink of sleep that night, obviously. Uh, it was like <laughs> sleeping with one eye open. Right. Um, so the next like two days, he's kind of on good behavior. He's trying to negotiate staying. He's like, whatever. And he'll like flip. Now I'm being able to really see like the craziness because he'll be like nice one second and then flip to being evil. And it's like, it's spooky. It's like something in a movie where it's just like watching a personality change. And uh, so then uh, it was a Tuesday you know, I'm not relenting. Oh, and I had got, I had to go back and talk to the police again because I had an appointment with a detective to tell him. And now I, now more things have happened because now the police have been to my house. And so I go and talk to a detective in the domestic violence unit. And he tells me, he's like, this will, he's like, this, you have to get this guy out of your life. He's like, because this is going to get worse. He's like, everything you're saying, he's like, he's like, ma'am, he goes, I'm not underestimating when like you could be killed. Right. And he's like, you need me to hear you. I need you to hear me. Like, he will kill you if you don't get rid of him. And I was like, yes, sir. <laughs> Got it. I'm trying to do that. Um, and so Tuesday, he's in the house. Because again, he's snuck back in. And uh, I he he's trying again to like lobby to stay. And he's on this like pity routine about it's not fair that he has to move out of the house. And he doesn't have a job you know, mind the fact that he isn't bothered to look for a job. Right. Um, and it's not fair. I'm being so unfair. 
and, um, you know, all this stuff. And I wouldn't, I just, I said, you have to take responsibility for yourself. I'm like, you chose to do all these things. I'm like, nobody forced you to do anything. And this was your idea. So like, you need to take responsibility. I'm like, listen, I said, I take responsibility for moving to Texas. Like it was like, I made the decision too. So let's all be like, you know, ownership in our, in our, in our, in our choices. So what I've learned is you can, you don't tell a narcissist to take responsibility for their own <laughs> actions. They don't like that. That is like red, a red flag and from a bull. Um, because that, when I said take responsibility for your actions, he charged at me and like got in my face and I screamed and cause he's like running at me. Like he's going to like hit me or something. And I like scream and, and I'm like, I'm like, get out of the house from calling 911. And he's like, you're not going to call 911, blah, blah, blah. And he used some explosives, but I'll keep it G-rated. <laughs> so, and I said, and I pick up my phone. I'm like, yes, I will. And I'm like, nine, one. And I'm about to hit the third, the second one. And he's like, okay, 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 okay. Let me just get some stuff and I get the dogs. And I'm standing there and it was in my home office. And I had this spidey sense that was like, get out of the house, Heather. Get out of the house. Get out of the house. And I should have listened to that spidey sense. Uh, but I stood there because like, it was literally like the conversation. My brain was like, no, you're, you're fine. He's going to leave. Like, you're fine. He's going to leave. And the next thing I know, he's running into the room with a gun. And uh, I obviously scream. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not used to guns. I'm shortly with somebody pointing one at me. He threatens to kill me. Um, he says, if I don't stop screaming, he'll kill my-, my dog is in the office with me. So the dog is with me and he threatens to kill the dog. Uh, and I had dropped my, in my, like the terror, I sort of, the phone fell out of my hand. Cause he kind of ran at me to like grab me as I recall with the gun. So I'm trying to scramble to grab my phone. He grabs it from me and now I don't own my phone. And, um, he uh, tells me he shuts all the blinds on the window because we're in the front of the house. He tells me to go back. The master bedroom is in the back of the house. So he orders me to go to the bedroom. And I remember just thinking, he's like, oh, he's going to murder me back there. Like it's in the back of the house. That's where he's going to kill me. And I'm like, please, no, why? No, no. He's like, go, just go. And he like gun, gun at me. And so literally like marches me and I, I grabbed Waylon's, that's my dog. I grabbed, I said, can I bring Waylon? Um, because honestly, my inner thought while I'm panicking was I'm about to die. And, um, at least I can be with something I love. Uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, if, if these are my last <clears throat> moments on earth. So he marches us down to the bedroom. Uh, he orders me to sit on the bed. My dog jumps and actually sits behind me. Um, it's really interesting. Anyone who has pets, it's he was a puppy and he's a very he was a very high energy puppy. He's a lab. Like if anyone knows Labradors, they're like very high energy. And he was the calmest he had ever been <laughs> that night. It's like he just knew and he went right behind me and curled up and didn't make a peep. And so my little dog, 
I think knew we were, we were in danger and, um, I'm begging for my life. And, um, he orders me to stop crying. And, um, he asked me for the passcode for my phone and I'm sobbing like so hard. I can't even breathe. And so there's a delay because I can't catch my breath. And he points the gun at me and he's like, you know, passcode or, you know, I shoot. And I'm like, and I also, when I have, I sort of scrambled off the bed and, and like crouched on the floor. It was just like an instinct to get away from the gun being pointed at me. And so I give the passcode for my phone. So now he's in my phone and he can see in the text messages that have gone to the police. And, uh, at that point I, I was pretty certain I was going to be murdered because I've gone to the cops. And he actually did. I mean, he, 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 at that point he was furious and, um, ordered me into the shower because he was going to kill me there. And, um, I begged for my life. I, I just begged for my life and I, uh, you know, he just wanted like me to comply and do whatever he wanted. I was like, you know, please, like whatever you want, like, please don't kill me. And so he, I did not get killed at that moment. Um, and that began 14 hours of being held hostage. So I was held hostage 14 hours, um, during which, uh, he threatened to kill me, kill my repeatedly. Like he detailed out like a, you know, like a villain in a movie, the different ways he was going to kill me. Um, he, uh, made me make him cocktails, <laughs> march me into the kitchen with a gun at my back to make him cocktails, um, using the most expensive scotch that I had in my pantry, of course, you know, it had to be the $150 scotch that he was drinking. And, um, he started to call people. He called his brother. He called his wife. So what I did learn that night was the woman that he claimed that he was in divorce with, he was not divorcing. They were fully married. I can't explain how she let him go to Texas like that is, I don't know. She couldn't even explain it to me when I talked to her after he was arrested. Um, but he called his wife. He fully confessed to his wife, everything. Um, he, uh, he raped me twice during that night. He confessed that to his wife that he had raped me. Um, he called a bunch of women that he had been dating. Uh, and, he, uh, you know, told them he was going to kill himself. Um, and he told his brother he was going to kill himself. He only to his what, as I recall, only to his wife, did he actually say what he had done to everybody else. He just said he had done something really bad and it had gone too far. And so he had to kill himself. Um, so that was like, I don't know when he started making those calls, probably around midnight or something. And um, I got held hostage. So I was taken hostage at 6 p.m. Uh, so middle of the night, he starts making phone calls. Uh, sometime early morning the next day, he, you know, is becoming, sun's coming out. I've been held hostage since the night before. Um I'm trying to convince him that he should just let me go, that it'll be easier for him legally if he just lets me go. Um, and he's like, no, I'm not going to let you go until I, 
I'm ready to die. I'm, I don't want to go to jail. Um, my, um, one of the most memorable lines he said on why he couldn't go to jail was that this is a direct quote that he can't go to jail because he's quote, not a bad person. Um, you know, the occurrence of the night and the seven months prior would indicate otherwise. And that he won't be able to be with his dogs and he won't be able to be with his guns. He was more worried about the guns, I think, than the dogs, frankly, because he was willing to kill my dog. So his love for animals was not super deep. Um, and, you know, oh, they'll take my guns away. I'll never be able to have a gun again. Uh, and like, this is exhibit A, why you should not have a gun. Uh, so he, um, I can't re- very early in the morning, probably 6, 7 a.m., he decides he's got to kill himself. And he had a lot of prescription pills. Um, I know some sleeping pills. He had a bunch of stuff. I think he was like a pill hoarder. I don't, I never knew the combo. I think there's probably some pain medicine in there some other stuff. Um, so he started just downing pills, uh, with the whiskey, um, which is really like among the horrors I saw that night, that was actually not fun to watch either. Like this guy held me hostage, but it's still Watching someone try to kill themselves, even when they're your captive, <laughs> is really not a great thing to do. Um, and he told me that once he passed out, I was free to go. And um, how gracious of him. So sometime around 8 a.m.-ish, uh, I had uh, I went, I was able to convince him to let me put my dog in his crate. It was on the other side of the house because I'm starting, I'm like, okay, he's taking these pills. He's going to pass out. I can escape, but I can't run easily with a dog. I, and I want my dog to be safe. So he, I was like, Hey, could I just, Waylon needs to go to sleep. Can I put him in his crate? So I put Waylon in his crate for safety. And cause I also like, I'm like, okay, when the police show up, I need the dogs to be like out of the way. And, um, so he let me put Waylon in the crate and then he takes the pills and he makes me sit with him while he's getting groggy. And, um, he, uh, he's got the gun the whole time. Like, like he's never let the gun leave his side. He has the gun on me for 14 hours even. And what that actually got spooky when he was getting woozy on the drugs is I was like, oh my God, he has a loaded weapon that's cocked. I mean, he had he had clicked it. So I knew there was a bullet in the chamber. He's like on drugs now. Like what could happen? So I'm also worried I could accidentally be shot because he's so out of it now with the pills and he's holding this gun. And um, he finally passes out. He finally, the very end, he had the, like, he, he passes out finally from the drugs and it's a scene like from a horror movie where the monster you think he's finally slayed and they wake up and grab you by the leg. So that's literally what I kind of think I'm watching right now because it's been 14 hours of terror. So I'm, I'm standing there in my bedroom, he's passed out and I'm kind of looking at him. So I'm like, is he really passed out? Is he dead? Is he like, what? So I see him breathing. So I know he's alive. And I just sort of stand there like, (laughs) 
in a state of shock. And I, I'm like, okay, he's alive. I grab my phone, run out of the house, call 911. And then, you know, I tell the police everything. Uh, the cops show up. The cops tell me to get away from the house. So like, he's got guns. He could wake up, like get away from that house. Um, the police were there within minute. I could hear the siren. Police were there in minutes. Um, very quickly, you know, I get taken to an ambulance. I get taken, I, I talk to the, they bring in a hostage negotiator because of what's going on. Um, SWAT shows up. SWAT puts my neighborhood on lockdown. Um, like watching the police tape go up on my street, watching SWAT, like police in artillery gear with, with tactical gear and assault rifles marching at my house in my little suburban town was surreal. Um, and, uh, so they, that I think it took SWAT a while to get into the house and, um, I get taken to the station, um, you know, to get to like <laughs> basically be taken care of and also give my statement and everything like that. Um, he was alive. He, um, they took him into custody and then he went to a hospital because he had obviously OD'd on a bunch of pills. Um, and uh, I got an emergency protective order from the police that kicked him out of the house. Uh, so he could never return. Um, I like, I got a permanent, so fast forward a little bit. I got a permanent protective order for a long, long time. Um, and uh, I had my lawyer arranged for his family was pretty awful. So in the aftermath, his family tried to extort money from me. They picked up where he left off. So he comes from a long line of creeps, like as if insult to injury, um, his brother like sent an email demanding money. Um, like they're horrible people. Um, so his family was just awful. Um, they did come and get some of the stuff, uh, finally. And I finally got all the stuff moved out of my house. Um, I had private investigators, um, sweep my house for surveillance and to see if there was other weapons in the house, which they found, they found he had hidden guns like throughout the house. Um, the cops told me that too. He had like guns and socks. So there was like gun lockers that I could see, but apparently there was way more hidden and all throughout the house which is terrifying. Um, so there was, they, 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 you know, I had the private investigators, they took my car to make sure there wasn't a tracker on my car. Like I learned so much about the criminal mind <laughs> through this. Um, I, uh, I also learned just how hard it is to keep yourself safe after because the laws are only so good. Um, and you know, I was fortunate that I had the means to, I got a security system. I could hire a lawyers and a private investigator and things like that. And, um, but not everyone can do that. And, you know, I, big reason I wanted to share my story is because I know that there's people out there who, if they can, one, you're not alone. Um, this fortunately can happen to anybody. And that, you know, I learned so much about what you need to do get yourself safe when you get out of these situations, because like this guy stalked me after he got out, his family like assisted him, which is pretty sick. Um, 
And, you know, he still, he stopped, he like would, he was stalking my friends, my ex-boyfriend after he got out of jail. He, he was indicted. So he is facing, um, multiple felony charges for kidnapping with a deadly weapon, two counts of sexual aggravated sexual assault, domestic violence, a few other charges. So he's been indicted. Um, you know, the justice system moves slowly, unfortunately. Uh, so, but you know, they're confident that he'll be going to prison, um, which is where he belongs. So, um, yeah, so that's (laughs) my long horror story. Well, thank you. And it actually is a very terrifying story to listen to. And, you know, you, you touched on it, Heather, there's a lot of women, one that don't know what to do, but two, there's a lot of women that don't have their courage because it is so frightening and it is so scary to share their story. And I know that by you doing this, you're going to help so many. Um, and I know you want to write a book about this one day, and I know there's a lot more details than you're able to share here. Um, but I just applaud you for having the strength to to share this and to get out of there and to get back to your roots so you can, you know, restart your life again. And and hopefully this is a, a long, a long process that stays in your rearview mirror. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. And if, you know, that's again, I that's the the goal is I learned a lot about just one, how difficult it is to keep yourself safe. The loopholes these guys find. Um I mean, when he was stalking me after, like he would just try to come bump right up to the edge of my protective order. And I, I have a really strong protective order. It's a no contact. He's not allowed to contact me in any way. His family can't on his behalf. Like his brother did the extortion right. I actually had the emergency protective order in place. Um, my lawyer had to send him a cease and desist to like remind him right. that, like, he too could be arrested for continuing to harass me. So, um, yeah, it's this stuff I've learned. And so I just, I'm hoping sharing my story and, you know, ultimately running a book, uh, through the things that I've learned can maybe, yeah. so, well, I'm so, I'm so sorry that this happened to you. I'm, you know, I know like we laughed about different things about, you know, his MO and how he got you isolated and stuff like that. But, Uh, There is no laughing about, you know, the fear that he put in you on a continuous basis, specifically when you got to Texas. So I am. I'm I'm truly sorry that you had to endure that. No, thank you. Now, before we go, I want to share some clips that Heather had with her therapist about seems like a universal question. Why didn't she leave? She said, because, you know, stuff like this happens to you and you know, maybe people said this when about the, like the horror situation, the horrible thing that happened with your sister, but like I've had people basically blame me for it. Like they do it in a well-meaning way, like using fake, they're not therapists. These are like stupid right. people who like read something right. on the magazine and somehow my childhood caused this or something caused this. And my therapist like, no, Heather, nobody, he caused this. Like right. you did nothing. You just like, it's like it's bad luck. Right. And um, so she always she's like, remember that. She's like, this is not your fault. She's like, he's right. the sicko here. There was comparisons like the ex-wife and the current wife who are still basically tied to him. She's like, the difference, she's like, the one thing, Heather, is you always wanted out. She's like, you, she's like, you weren't delusional. <laughs> right. And like, oh, it's all gonna work out. 
she's like, cause my other therapist was in the same practice. She goes, I've seen your notes from Cindy. She's like, you were telling Cindy. She's like, so I have it on. She's like, if it makes you feel better, you have two doctors who have it on record that you were terrified and that you couldn't get out. She's like, you were right. trapped. I'm sorry that you have your own ripple effect on the good news. It's been wonderful speaking with you and you are now part of my ripple effect. And I thank you for being brave enough to share your story. You're very welcome. I'm happy to be here. If you are in a relationship that is filled with domestic violence, or if you know somebody that needs help, please call 1-800-799-7233. To help you remember that, that's 1-800-799-SAFE. S-A-F-E. I'm your host, Barb Jordan. Thanks for joining me in another episode of Always Bev, The Ripple Effect.